Welcome to CareCast, CareNet's podcast on family, faith, and life, with me, Vincent DiCaro, CareNet's Chief Outreach Officer, and Roland Warren, CareNet's President and CEO. In this episode of CareCast, we will talk about a counter-argument to one of the most common pro-choice arguments. And then, we'll talk about the importance of forgiveness and the principles we can learn from the life of Christ that can help us be more forgiving. Well, here we are, Roland. We are uh, approaching spring here in uh, yes. in Northern Virginia. Spring There's, is springing. Spring is in the process of springing. So yes. it is it is March, just to give folks um, some context. Uh, March 20th is uh, a very important date, as you know. That is the date that the Supreme Court will be hearing the arguments on, in the NIFLA versus Becerra case, mm-hmm. which is incredibly yeah. important. We've talked about that before in this podcast. I've, in fact, I think in the last episode of CareCast, we covered that. So we would just ask folks, folks to continue to pray for, for that whole process and, and the aftermath as well um, on that case. Again, that's the NIFLA versus Becerra case, oral arguments heard on March 20th for that at the Supreme Court of the United States. So big stuff, important stuff. Um, but we wanted to just cover a couple of things, the sorts of things that we love to cover here, which is yeah. sort of breaking down arguments that are being made in our culture around the life issue um, and just kind of talking through those and helping folks understand at least what our perspective is and hopefully what a broader perspective around the life issue is. So uh, one uh, argument in particular that we've seen um numerous times, and most recently in a column in the Washington Post. Uh, so Gene Weingarten, who's a, the humor columnist for the Washington Post, right, right. Wrote, wrote an article. Um, and I just want to make clear, this is, we, we have nothing against Gene. This is not about Gene. We don't know Gene. We don't know Gene. Gene, yeah. could, Gene could be a great guy. Um, so we would just, you know, this is, not, this is nothing personal against Gene. We just want to, but we do want to kind of talk about the argument that he made right. um, and talk about whether or not it, it, you know, it sort of makes sense and if it really is representative of because he, like a lot of pro-choice people do, I think often, um, is that they basically set up what they what their version of a pro-life worldview is, right? And then they kind of knock it down and say, therefore, pro-choice is is the correct viewpoint. So he kind of created a version of a pro-life argument, um, and then sort of defeated that argument. Right. Uh, in I think sort it's of called a straw man. It is. It's the classic straw man yes. scenario. Yes. So basically, in so as many as a tin man, is a tin, yes, a tin man, which is much more difficult yes. to knock down. <laughs> It is, if you've seen the movie. Uh, right. Yeah. That's why we set up Tin Man arguments <laughs> right. as a right. contrast. But Tin Men don't have hearts, so I don't know if that's a good idea either. Oh, so. geez, my. Okay, yeah. a Tin Man with a heart. A, a t- yeah. A like at the heart. end of the movie, yes. he gets the heart. So That's right. You're right. He does have a heart. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, in fact, he's like, yeah, I mean, we can talk about Wizard of Oz probably for a very long time because it's a very interesting movie. But the Tin Man was actually the most sensitive of all the characters, and he's the one that didn't have the heart, right? Exactly. The Scarecrow was the smartest, and he was the one that didn't have a brain. So. Yeah. Good, good stuff. Literary devices there. Thus, it was why it was easy to knock him down. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, anyway. Very good. Right? <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So, getting yes. back to Gene Weingarten's argument. Yes. So, essentially, what he did was basically say that pro-life people believe that a baby right. and a fetus in the womb at whatever stage of development—one week, two weeks, whatever—he didn't necessarily specify that, but a fetus. That pro-life people believe that a fetus and a baby are the same thing. Right, and therefore, if you are in favor of abortion, you are in favor of killing babies, and therefore, you're basically crazy. Um, and me, this is Gene saying, I'm a pro-choice person. I'm not in favor of killing babies. Therefore, abortion is okay. Right. So, and our response to that essentially has been that the pro-life worldview doesn't rely on the belief that a fetus and a baby are the same thing. 
but that they are both human lives in different stages of development. Absolutely. And that that is a a key critical point when you're talking about this issue and when you're thinking about uh, this issue. And, and, you know, it's interesting, though, because uh, one of the reasons I think people kind of come to that perspective, come to a perspective that that there's not a similarity, though, has a lot to do with how we kind of how some people think children come into the world, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have the view that that children are constructed Mm -hmm. or rather children develop. Mm -hmm. So does a child come into the world like a Chevy Mm -hmm. comes off an assembly line? At some point, you've got this hunk of steel and then it goes on an assembly line, it's formed and then wheels get on and then all this stuff. And then add all these components over time. All these components over time Mm -hmm. and then you have a Chevy, right? right? And, and here's the thing. At any point on the assembly line, you can decide, you know, we don't want a Chevy. We want some other kind of car, and you can just crush it, melt it down. It can become another thing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? You can put leather instead of, you know, exactly. vinyl, and it's now a Cadillac instead of a Chevy. Exactly. Right. Like, yeah. But children are not constructed. Right. Like, life is not constructed. Life actually develops, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Life develops. So although a hunk of steel could be a Chevy or, or a, a dishwasher or a pan or whatever, right? right? right. <laughs> like when we recycle metal, right, right, right. that's not actually how life begins, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And absolutely. a fetus, yeah. a fetus can't be anything else right. but a human. A human. Right. Can't be anything else. Yeah. And, and so the better way to think about life is that life develops. And so to use a, an analogy that, that I think works better um, is that you, you remember years ago, and some people even have these cameras now. They had those Polaroid cameras. And when I was coming up, that was the big thing, right? And they still have those today. And the way that Polaroid worked was you took the picture, and then uh, it comes out of the camera. But when you look at the picture, it's nothing but just a big— It's like a gray blob. It's just basically. a gray blob. Yeah. Right? Just a gray blob. Right? Because what do you have to do? You have to wait for it to develop. Mm -hmm. Now, what can it be? It can only be the thing that you took a picture of. Mm -hmm. Right. Right? It it cannot be anything else. It can only develop into one thing, which is what you were pointing the camera at at that time. So it's fully whatever that thing was. Right, right, right. right. But it just hasn't developed yet. That's why if you took a picture of the Loch Ness Monster Mm -hmm. and you finally got that shot and you got it on a Polaroid, right? And I came up and you said, Roland, I got a picture of the Loch Ness Monster and you showed me the Polaroid and it just looked like a black box. And I took my finger and said, I don't see anything there. And I put a smudge to it. Would you be upset? Sure. Absolutely. You'd be just as upset, mm-hmm. right, as right. if I cut the picture that it fully developed in half and threw it in the trash. Right, right, You right. see, yeah. because life does, is not constructed. Right, life right, right. develops. And that's yeah. the fatal fallacy and flaw in his argument. Mm-hmm. We, we, don't, we, don't, we make the argument, which is actually scientifically based, mm-hmm. that life develops. Mm-hmm. That a fetus mm-hmm. is fully a child. Mm-hmm. Fully, mm-hmm. a two-year-old, a three-year-old, in terms of its essence, it can't be anything else, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. And so it's valuable. If if if, if you value two-year-olds mm-hmm. outside of the womb, yeah. then you need to value two weeks old inside the womb right. because they have the same essence. They can't be anything else but human life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's the one thing that I think if you if you have a pro pro-choice worldview. Right, mm-hmm. that that I think that's the disconnect. And if you can really understand that fully, then you can understand how pro-life people think, and it's actually mm-hmm. logically consistent. What's actually logically inconsistent mm-hmm. is to have the view that a fetus is not mm-hmm. a human life, mm-hmm. because of course it can't be anything else but right. a human life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think this kind of gets back to another argument that we've made often here, which is that the 
uh, I don't think pro-choice people, some would, but many pro-choice people I don't think are quite ready to sort of publicly acknowledge this reality in their worldview, which is that they do kind of get that it's a life, but that it's a life worth sacrificing. Exactly. And that's really the kind of shift that's happened as, you know, 40 ultrasounds and, you know, knowledge about fetal development has, has developed over time, that it's pretty hard to look at that and uh, a fetus in the womb and say that it's not a human life. Right, right. Um, so you have to kind of shift your argument and, you know, use these straw man sort of arguments to really kind of sidestep the central issues. Yeah. Um, and but it would but like as you said, what it really boils down to is they 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 know it's a life, but they just think that it's a life worth sacrificing. And I think the really um, kind of key line in his column uh, that I actually tweeted uh, to him to kind of get his response on this, uh, he said, and I quote, this is from his column. I am very much in favor of allowing a woman facing the prospect of a grievously disabled newborn to abort that fetus so she can try again with better luck, maybe producing a cancer researcher instead of a lifelong insensate invalid. Right. Right. So basically the lifelong insensate invalid is a life. He's not saying that it's not, right. but it's a life sac worth sacrificing. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and so I asked him actually on Twitter, I tagged him on Twitter and I said, how is this not eugenics? Right. Right. And so before I get to his response, I, you know, I, I, you know, I understand a lot of, you know, pro-life folks can kind of throw that eugenics thing out there and it can kind of sound a little bit maybe extreme. Right. Um, but if you but if you really sort of break down what's going on there, um, philosophically speaking, there isn't really much of a difference between the eugenics of the past. You know, we think about Nazis and all kinds of crazy stuff that was going on back then and abortion. Um, and the philosophy behind it really is the same. So it might not be carried out in exactly right, the right, same right. way. So it maybe looks a little prettier or less ugly in some ways, or it's harder to kind of really get the essence of what it actually is. But when you start peeling away the layers, you can see that. So I asked him, how, how is that not eugenics, right? Um, and his, his response was, if you consider aborting an acephalic fetus to be eugenics, we don't have a H-E double hockey sticks of a lot to discuss, you know? And he's not talking about hockey. Right, he's not talking about hockey. So I didn't want to say that word, um, yeah. but you, you can imagine the word that he, we, don't, we don't have a heck of a lot to discuss, you know? Um, so once again, he sort of sidestepped uh, the question there. He basically took the most extreme example of, of somebody and said that it's not eugenics to abort somebody that has this particular disability. Um, but well, first of all, it sort of is because you're basically right. you're selecting certain. You have a list of disabilities that are unacceptable. Yes, <laughs> um, and therefore, these these abortion is okay in these in these areas. Right. And when children don't have that disability, abortion is not okay. Right. Again, I don't really think. Again, it, see, it just just it just gets so confusing because we actually really don't know exactly what he believes. Yeah. Because he really doesn't set any criteria. He right. just kind of throws up whatever argument he can come up with and hope that something sticks. Right. Um, and he's trying. You know, he's trying to argue from an extreme. Mm -hmm. And so there's a couple ways to kind of look at that. One. Okay. So are you saying that abortion should only be acceptable? Mm -hmm. when you have this extreme case of disability. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a, so we could set that over there. So mm -hmm. if that was really the case, mm -hmm. I mean, the number of abortions would be infinitesimal. Infinitesimal. Infinitesimal, right, yeah. in, in, terms, in terms of the culture, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Which I don't think that's what he believes. He's right. just fighting from that extreme. Yeah. But even at that extreme, he's still, he's still conceding the point that the child is a life, right? Yes. That, the, that this fetus is a life. Yeah. It's a life worth sacrificing. Yeah. 
And that is a big, big issue. And, you know, really when you unpack, you know, what eugenics is, it, the, what's the principle behind eugenics, mm-hmm. right? Take the person, well, what's the principle? The, the principle basically is that this child, mm-hmm. or uh, this person, this child, whatever, right? Because you can have eugenics after birth, sure. right? Sterilization. Sterilization, all, all that kind of stuff. Is This person is going to be a burden to me or to society in some way, shape, or form. Right. That's the underlying principle. And therefore, because you are going to be a burden to me or society in some way, shape, or form, you're less valuable mm-hmm. than folks who are not going to be a burden. Therefore, you're expendable. Mm-hmm. That's really what it is. Yeah. And when you when you have that principle, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. then you say, well, gosh, well, first off, well, what what if we don't catch a disability in the womb? Mm-hmm. What makes that person more valuable outside of the womb? So the child is born, you're like, oh my gosh, they had something we couldn't catch because we have technology to catch it. Why would we not just have agency to kill the child in? Like what what gives right. Right. What I gives know. that child more agency mm-hmm. outside of the yeah. womb? And if, and if anything, the child actually actually has become more of a burden Absolutely. after they're born because now you actually have to actively care for that child. Whereas in the womb, they're pretty much taken care of. Exactly. Yeah. So so, you're, so you so you should have a sense of urgency there. So yeah. so there's a real big problem there mm-hmm. that you say, well, then if you find out uh, and, and then the other issue that you have, since the principle is that this person is in, is a burden in some way, shape or form to me or to society at large, then you can start expanding that scope. So if I live in, I don't know, an agrarian society where I need lots of guys mm-hmm. and I happen to have a daughter. Mm-hmm. You will be a burden to our family mm-hmm. in some way, shape, or form, and therefore, yeah. and that's exactly what you have seen, and frankly, what you still yeah. do see, yeah. even today. Yeah. yeah, and that's really the argument. And so, what I find often is people don't want to look at the principle, but then they get surprised mm-hmm. when when certain things start to happen. But worldviews, mm-hmm. you know, worldviews lead to certain action. Every single action is a reflection of a worldview. Abortion is a reflection of a worldview, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Abo- uh, that I can determine the value of life and I have agency once I determine the value of life, mm-hmm. then to terminate that life based on the agency that, that I have. That's yeah. the overarching principle there. And I think that his article reflects that. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- and I think the other uh, idea that this also kind of brings up again and again, something that we've talked about as well here uh, at CareNet is really at the end of the day, this uh, this notion of choice yeah. is really in the in the kind of mind frame of those who are in favor of abortion. Choice is what's sacred. Yes, not life, not this, not that. It's exactly. it, it's choice. So basically, everything is sacrificed on the altar of choice. Right. That is the highest ideal, the highest good. Yeah, and choice is morally neutral. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the problem. And it's changeable. It's, it's changeable. It's, it's flexible. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. It, it, so you don't have to set a criteria for what level of disability makes it acceptable to abort a fetus and not have it be called eugenics, exactly. right? <laughs> so, so if you want to sort of avoid this, you know, this accusation accusation of eugenics, you know, you just kind of, you know, don't set any yeah. sort of criteria and just say, well, what about this extremely uncommon, extreme case? Yeah. Are you telling me that that's eugenics? Like, that's like, that's not an argument. No, no. Because there's no consistency there. Exactly. And you just continue to define humanity right. down to right. a level that's acceptable to you. Right. And again, so you see that in, in places that had eugenics, mm-hmm. you know, and they have that worldview. Mm-hmm. We define who is valuable down to a point that's acceptable. And, it, and it's based on whatever the particular culture may be. So it may be a gender issue. 
It may be a race issue. It may be a wealth issue. It may, you just start defining it down so that it's flexible because the underlying principle is that you are a burden to me yeah. or a burden to society in some way that society or me finds unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And therefore, because you are, you're expendable. Yeah. yeah. And, you're, and you're, yes, your life, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Your life, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you're just a life worth sacrificing. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and the thing that I always try to... Uh, illustrate with that is that if you have that view, mm-hmm. then you actually line up with some of the most heinous perpetrators of the worst mm-hmm. atrocities humanity has ever known. I mean, I read this one article some years ago by a, a pro-choice writer, and she was talking about the fact that she basically was saying, listen, you know, so what if so what if abortion ends a life, right? right? And she was make, making kind of a similar argument that he's making at some level, which is, you know, you sound like a flat earther if you try to say the child in the womb is not a life. Mm-hmm. And, right. and then she says, but it's a life worth sacrificing. And, and she basically says, she closes her article saying, you know, I would put the life of the mother over the life of the fetus every single time, mm-hmm. right. all the while acknowledging that the fetus is indeed a life, a life worth sacrificing. Yes. That's how she ends it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And what I did was I took those words, mother and fetus, and I replaced them with other words, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I would put the life of the slave owner mm-hmm. over the life of the slave, all the while acknowledging that the slave is indeed a life a life worth sacrificing. I would put the life of the Nazi Mm -hmm. over the life of a Jew, Mm -hmm. all the while acknowledging that the Jew is a life, a life worth sacrificing. I will put the little boy over the life of the little girl, all the while acknowledging that the little girl is a life, a life. You see what I'm saying? You can just keep inserting. And you, Mm -hmm. and and what what she doesn't, what she didn't get when she wrote this article, Mm -hmm. right, Mm -hmm. is that she actually was lining up, Mm -hmm. lining up Mm -hmm. with, with, with Hitler and Pot and yeah. Mao, Mao and I mean just yeah. all, anyone who's yeah. doing the most heinous atrocities even today yeah. because they have exactly the same worldview yeah. because yeah. worldview mm-hmm. actions are a reflection of a worldview yeah. Yeah. and that's why worldviews are so important and why we spend so much time talking about them. yeah and the other and the other aspect of this worldview that's yeah. very dangerous um, is you know you, you talked about you know we basically define life down right? right to a point where it's convenient for for us right but if you think about it like who who gets to make those definitions, right? right. Um, and so really what it boils down to is we're sort of in a might makes right yep. sort of worldview, which is again, what tyrants right. operate under, right? Absolutely. So if you're in power, you're right, right because you have the power and therefore you get to make the definitions and you get to call the shots. Um, and so it, it, it really is, again, you know, it's like, Again, another th- one of the things that the pro-life movement gets, uh, you know, accused of is, you know, comparing things to Hitler and all this other stuff. But, you know, we're, we're not saying that the woman who wrote this article is Hitler. That's not what we're saying. But we're saying that the, the philosophy, the ideas behind what she's writing have similarities to that worldview. Right. And you have to be cognizant of that in order to understand the beliefs that flow from those things. Exactly. And, and, and they started with the idea. Mm-hmm. Right. It started with an idea. And, uh, you know, and that's how mm-hmm. all these things start. They start with an idea. Mm-hmm. idea mm-hmm. Right. And that's why from a biblical standpoint, we're taught to what, be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Why? Because what your mind mm-hmm. says and believes mm-hmm. is what your actions will be. So if you want to change your actions, you've got to change your mind. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly anyone who wants to uh, wants to move a certain worldview into a perspective, particularly if they've got uh, a certain uh, group of people that they want to eliminate, either through eugenics or uh, genocide or whatever it may be, there's a worldview that they start to communicate first. Yes. And, and, and basically the worldview they start to communicate first is they start to dehumanize this, this folk 
these folks or subhumanize them in some way, shape, or form, mm -hmm. and really have and, and they don't necessarily argue to say the person's not alive. They say there's a life worth sacrificing. And then once you understand that perspective, once you adopt that perspective, then you can move forward and do whatever you want to do and continue to add to the list. Absolutely. So I think this is actually a great transition because the next thing I wanted to talk about um, is uh, some things that you've written and, and told me over the over the years about forgiveness. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important for us to keep in mind that even though we might disagree with some folks around this issue, um, it's it's you know it's sort of easy to get mad at them and to think they're evil and all these other things. But the reality is that yeah. they are also our brothers and sisters, and that they were created by the same God yeah. um, in His image. Um, and uh, we have to be able to understand uh, and forgive. And uh, forgiveness is tough, especially with somebody that you think is wrong about something. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially as something as, as fundamental as, as life, right? Um, so I'm just going to read a quick line that I, I think was actually in the recent article that you wrote about forgiveness, and I'll ask you to kind of expand upon that, which was that uh, forgiveness is a living sacrifice. To truly forgive, you must put to death your right to give the offending party anything you believe he or she deserves. I thought that was a great a great line, and I love that living that living sacrifice line. Right. So tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting because uh, one of the one of the things that uh, kind of inspired me around that I was listening to a pastor speak uh, uh, about you know living sacrifice and about sacrifice and how we're supposed to be as Christians a living sacrifice. And uh, he was quoting another older pastor. He said well, the problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off of the altar, right? <laughs> that kind of a thing. <laughs> that's good. And, you know that kind of a thing. And so you know I thought that was really clever because I think that's the same thing that can happen with with forgiveness, where you have a situation where you you know you feel like I've forgiven someone, I've put it on the altar, right? And and I've kind of put to death my right, uh, if you will. Uh, to 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 give the offending party what I think they believe, mm -hmm. and then it comes back again. It crawls it crawls off of crawls off of the the altar, and you know that's one of the things uh, certainly that uh, we have to focus on, you know. And I and I think I think that um, one of the things that um, that I also talk about in, in that article is the is the notion that unforgiveness is actually an injustice, mm -hmm. you know, and, yeah. I, and people don't really think about that that way. And why is that an injustice? Well, you know, from a Christian perspective, you know, we 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 have been forgiven much, right? And so, in a relative sense, in in many many cases, obviously, we're forgiving little, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And 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 if you are the kind of person that cannot forgive then you're actually doing an injustice to that person because you were given much mm -hmm. and you're giving little. Mm -hmm. So if you think about that, yeah. like in the economy, you know, you got blessed with something or you get a tax cut, whatever it is, and there's this sort of expectation that, well, you've got been given much, so you should share, right? And it's right, an sure, injustice. Sure. It's a wrong for you to have a perspective that you're not going to share. And I think in that way, certainly from a Christian perspective, we've got this wellspring of, of forgiveness mm -hmm. that comes from a relationship with Christ and this continual forgiveness. And yeah. so what's required of us, right, a just God gives us forgiveness, mm -hmm. right? That to be just like God, mm -hmm. then we need to give forgiveness as well. So it's a really interesting, uh, from my standpoint, it's a really interesting topic and uh, particularly one that uh, that's that's really uh, significant when you we have dis disagreements or conflicts with folks. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think just in a very practical sense as well, again, built sort of off, the, off these principles that the Bible teaches us, is that for me personally, when I'm having a hard time forgiving, and I'm certainly not perfect at this, but, but I really just think about all of the terrible things that I've done to other yeah. people, right? Mm -hmm. And then if you start thinking about that, you're like, man, you know, who am I to say that I'm, I can't forgive this person for, for this right. thing? Because I've done 
worse things to other people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, again... Yeah, to me, for example. <laughs> I know, this probably, I, you know, we could make a list of all the horrible things I've done. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and you have forgiven me, so yeah, I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. Um, That's right. <laughs> yes, he's, yes, he's a... You're a living sacrifice or something, uh, <laughs> but no, it's it's very true, and and I think that's 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 the that's the wonderful and the difficult part about the Christian walk, right? Yeah, is that it forces you to think about these things, and they're not easy to think about, because yeah. as you say, like you know, when you're in a situation where uh, you need to forgive somebody, it's so easy just to think about what that person did and what they don't deserve, right? Mm-hmm. But then it, Christianity, you know, it forces you to think about yourself yeah. and the, the terrible things that you've done to other people. Right. Um, and, and, and it's interesting, though, because it, because the one person who you it's easier for you to forgive in mm-hmm. most cases is actually you. <laughs> so we forgive ourselves all the time. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. You know, yeah. you know, we, we do something wrong. We go, well, you know, yeah. hey, you know, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't that bad. We'll get we, over we, it. We'll get over yeah. it. Right, that kind of a thing. So we do. Uh, we have a tremendous ability to forgive ourselves. And again, I, I could talk about a principle. Why is that? Right. You know, why is that? Right. And I think a lot of that has to do with kind of this, one of the second points I made in the article was that was that in order to truly forgive someone, you have to be able to separate someone's doing from their being. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the amazing things that Christ was able to do. Right. He mm-hmm. he when he right. saw a person, he separated their doing from their being. In other words, he saw in their being that they were created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And so he had this ability to innately see and be focused on this person is created in the image of God. And so he separated their doing from their being, which is the Christian narrative. When you hear in the verse, while we were yet sinners, mm-hmm. Christ died for us. In other words, right. yeah. while we were sinning in our doing, he saw his image in our being mm-hmm. and he forgave us that mm-hmm. same thing. So you have to have that ability to do. And I think we do that better with ourselves. Right. We separate our doing what I just did to yeah. someone. Like if you cheat or lie or something like that, exactly. you'll say, you know, what? that's just something that I did in that moment. But that's not really who I am. Exactly. That's not really me. Exactly. It's just something I did. Exactly. So I can forgive myself. Exactly. And so we have to give this, that same benefit of the doubt to other people. Exactly. And, yeah. we, and that's what Christ was able to do amazingly. And that was sort of the... You know, he sort of wore these glasses, if you will, they, almost like they're 2D glasses instead of 3D. And when he looked at humanity, yeah. he, he would see, he would separate someone's doing from their being, mm-hmm. right? The thief mm-hmm. on the cross, right? Mm-hmm. He was a thief on the cross. He wasn't like a wrongly accused thief on the cross. He okay. was a thief that was a thief on the cross. And even he acknowledged that he deserved to be there. Yeah, yeah. But when Christ looked at him in that last moment, mm-hmm. right, what did he do? He separated his doing, him being a thief from his mm-hmm. being, which is you're creating in my image. You're creating mm-hmm. the image of God. And I see that in you. Mm-hmm. And he forgave him in his being, all the while acknowledging who yeah. he was in his doing. And that really is, is a key uh, to forgiveness that, that we always have to remember. Yeah. I, and I just, that's one of my favorite parts yeah. of, the, of, the, of the Bible, that, that particular story where Christ forgives the, uh, the thief. Because, yeah, I mean, it's just that he, obviously Christ was in his greatest moment of right. absolute pain and suffering. But he was still thinking about other people. Yeah. Um, even the worst among us, even, right? Even, forgive them for they know not what they do. Yeah. And, and that ability to separate doing from being yeah. Uh, yeah. is an amazing aspect, an amazing characteristic, and certainly as Christians, the one that we're supposed to emulate. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, I think that's a great place to end. It is. We love ending on a positive yeah, note. Yeah. I hope folks will forgive us. Yes. <laughs> I, I, know, I know they're like, more, more, more. <laughs> right. Like, can this continue? Can I it know. just keep going and not end? Or, or that they would forgive us that it's gone on this 
small. Uh, yeah. So either way, either way, we we'll, need forgiveness. We'll, we'll take forgiveness <laughs> for whatever reason. Well, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll take it. So very good. I think that'll do it for this episode of Carecast. So thanks again for listening, and uh, we'll we'll see you next time. Yes. May God bless you daily as you serve Him faithfully in all you do. Amen. Amen.